Christmas to everyone. So glad to have you here. If you could please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. I like that the Christmas is not only about Jesus, but it's also about Christmas, about you and I and what we're going to do. Uh, welcome to our Christmas Eve service. I always look forward to this Christmas, this time of year. This is one of my most favorite times, Christmas Eve service, with all the lights, with all the singing of the Christmas songs, because our focus really becomes Christocentric, really focuses down to Him and who He is, and, and I get a chance to really bring that forth in the message and stuff, so I'm always excited about that. We've been studying a theme here during this last several weeks called the Storyline of Jesus. Looking at the story of Christmas, we've been looking at the genealogy or the the family tree of Jesus through Matthew chapter 1. What I've liked about this, it's really interesting, it's learning more about the grace of God and how he works. If we looked at Matthew chapter 1, including that family tree, we've seen some of the heroes of faith, but we've also seen some broken and rebellious people. We saw some uh, people who were murderers and prostitutes, but every type of person you can imagine were in there. And that's all good for us to see because we realize to become part of the family of Jesus, it's not based on perfection not based on performance, but it's based on faith. Amen? It's based on faith in Jesus Christ, and we need to remember that. We need to remember. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to a restaurant, maybe you had a party of six, and you go to the restaurant, and you sit down with your party, and you're all there, and uh, the waiter comes, waiter or waitress comes, and they give you your menu, and you're looking over the menu, and after you decided what you're going to order, the, the waiter or waitress comes back and says, uh, are you ready to order? And you say, yes but they don't have anything in their hand. I mean, they don't have a pad in their hand. They don't have that electronic device. Does that make you nervous? I don't know about you, but I look at that and say, oh, no. And they go around and they start taking the orders of all the people and all the things. Everyone's got their own thing they want. And they come to me, and if it's a steak place, I'll just say, well, I'll take a steak, but I want it medium well with a little pink. I'll take a baked potato with just butter, but some extra butter on the side. I'll take a salad, but I don't want any egg in the salad with ranch dressing. Then I want unsweetened iced tea, but I like those little pink and those little yellow little, little sweeteners with it. And could you bring some rolls with that? We're running out of rolls and stuff. And what do you think of that person getting all those orders right? All those six orders. It, it's not going to work. But it's amazing how it does. It seems like when I go to restaurants, those people that don't have anything, they always get the order right. It's the ones that write it all down seem like it messed up for some reason. And maybe some of your waiters and waitresses, you've got that down, you're able to remember. And it always amazes me when I get the order and it's right. I heard a story a long time ago about Paul Harvey. Uh, I remember he talked about it, and I had to go back on the Internet to be reminded of the story. But it was a great story. It was an old man who walked along a pier, a dilapidated old pier on the eastern shore of Florida. Every Friday, he would carry a bucket of shrimp. He was white-haired, bushy eyebrows, man, bent over, limped a little bit. And as he walked, every Friday night, he, the seagulls would come, and he would feed them the fish that he had. And he did this out of the gratitude of his heart. And he had to go way back to October of 1942. It was Captain Eddie Rickenbacker. He was flying during World War II on a B-17, and he was going across the South Pacific on New Guinea to send a message to General Douglas MacArthur, but he got off course. As a result, they lost radio control. And they were running out of fuel, so they had to make a decision to land that plane in the ocean. So for the next 30 days, they were going to be in these little life rafts in the ocean. Their largest life raft being 9 foot by 5 foot, but the sharks in that ocean at time, that time were about 10 foot. So they fought in those 30 days, the wind, the waves, the heat, the sharks, but their biggest battle they had to fight was starvation. 
They said they had enough meals for about eight days, and after time had run out, either because they used all the food or it was ruined by the salt water, they didn't know what to do, so they needed a miracle. So they prayed for a miracle. And Drickenbacher tells this story. He says, one afternoon, while they're all in this little raft, one of the guys, one of the pilots named Cherry, he began to start a, like a service. They sang a hymn of praise. They had a prayer. Asking God for a miracle, God let a miracle come down. And it says after they finished, there was a little bit of talk, a little bit of chatter. But they're all really tired and exhausted. And so Eddie Rickenbacker says, he said, he pulled his hat down over his head to kind of shield it from the sun reflecting off the ocean, and he fell asleep. He says, a little while later, he said, I woke from my sleep. He says, I didn't know how I know, knew it, but I knew it that there was seagull that landed on top of my head. And he says, uh, he says I, I looked, he says, I thought about the seagull. I said, there's a seagull there, and that seagull is a meal if I can only catch it. He said, I looked out from underneath my, my visor, and I could see all the other people on the on the boat, that little raft, also saw that seagull. He said, I reached up and I caught that seagull. And he says, that seagull, the flesh from that seagull became food for us, and the intestines from that seagull became bait to catch the fish. And so they were able to survive. So Eddie Rickenbacker, long after the war, long after he came home, every Friday night, he would take that bucket and walk down the pier, feeding those seagulls, because he never, ever wanted to forget about a seagull that kept him and his comrades alive. And you and I, in the same way, we must never forget what Christmas really means. We can never forget that. You know, we have all the stuff that we have in our Christmas tradition, and all those things are wonderful. It's great to have those, and I have those, and I love those. Maybe coming to Christmas Eve service, that's, maybe that's one of your traditions. And that's wonderful and amazing to do that. But we have to remember what Christmas really means, right? We have to remember. I want to share three verses with you from the book of Matthew. Uh, it's a story in the birth of Jesus. If you have your outlines, hopefully you have them ready. Three things we need to lock into our memory. And the first one is this. Remember why Jesus came. It's so important to remember why he came. In verse 21, our first verse really answers the question to that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It's our memory verse for this week. It says, she, who's she? Mary. Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. As you read the scriptures, you find out there's many reasons articulated for the coming of Jesus to the earth. I mean, John chapter 8, the Christ, that Jesus came to, to destroy the works of the devil and to show us the glory of God. But he makes it very clear, in addition to those two things in this passage, the primary purpose for why Jesus came to this earth was to save us from our sins. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. We all understand what sin is, don't we? I mean, if you understand your heart, you understand you're a sinner, right? All of us should, if you really understand your heart. Sin is breaking the law of God. It's missing the mark. It's transgressing against God. Even the Ten Commandments, when we look at the Ten Commandments for ourselves, and we, we match our life up against the Ten Commandments, we realize we're a sinner, right? We should. And what I wanted to do, I wanted to kind of read the Ten Commandments in abbreviated form, and for you to just measure your life up against them, and you'll check for yourself whether you're a sinner or not. Let me just go through them real quick. The first one, you shall not have no other gods before me. It means you can't have anything before God ever. You shall not have any idols. You shall not misuse the name of God. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You shall not uh, honor your mother and father. Uh, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. 
anyone still here say, well, I'm sinless? Would anyone actually say that to them? No, we're all sinners. As a matter of fact, Jesus even raised the bar. He said, you've heard it said you shall not commit, commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He says, you've heard it said do not murder. I say to you that if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. So it's hard to get through a week or, or whether a day or a week and not sin, right? Because sin, it's not just our actions. It's our motives. It's our thought life. It's not doing the things that we should be doing and doing it, and we do the things that we should not be doing, right? So we've all sinned. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, we're distanced from God. We're objects of his wrath. But yet he still loves us. Can you imagine that? He still loves us, us being sinners and all. We couldn't do anything about our sin. No amount of good works that we could do to, to fix our problems. If you and I could live a thousand lives or could add up all those good works that we could do, it cannot get us into heaven. It cannot make us right before God. Because the Bible says for all, meaning every one of us, has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. If we just commit one sin, we fall short of God's glory. Just one sin, we fall short of the standard of God of entering into heaven. So we all need redemption, right? We all need rescued, is what the Bible says. And that's the beauty of the Christian story, because God says, I'm sending my son, Jesus, with the task to redeem and rescue people from sin. Can you imagine that? That's what God is doing. We have to remember that. We never forget that. That's why he came. We never forget that. Over the years, I've done Christmas and Easter services, and Every once in a while, I have somebody come and say, you know, I always knew that Jesus died, but I never knew why. If you don't know why Jesus died, then you don't know why he came. Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins. We need to remember that, right? We need to be reminded of this. We need to remember. The second thing we need to lock into our memory is remember God always, always keeps his promises. He always does. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. He's referencing to the prophecy of Isaiah, written about 800 years ago. And yet there are so many promises that God had given in the Old Testament about this event. And when it happened, it was a fulfillment of all those promises. Like where he said back in the book of Genesis, after Adam and Eve had sinned before God, and they were distanced from God, and they needed to be rescued. And he, in that same chapter, he gives them a promise. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, The day will come when the offspring of a woman... Who's the offspring of a woman? That's referencing Jesus right there. That Jesus would come 800 years before he came, that he would come. And it says this, He will one day raise his foot, and he will crush the head of the wicked one. He would crush the head of Satan. Way back then, it's already telling Jesus is going to come. Who caused all the damage he was? And Jesus is going to defeat him way at the cross. That happened at the cross. And then you move through the Old Testament, and you get to the book of Isaac. I mean, to, to, to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your country and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you land. And from your people, from you, one will come, will be a blessing to all the nations. So they waited. They waited for that promise. And then he shared it with Isaac and then to Jacob. And then years down the road uh, to King David, about 1000 B.C., King David wanted to build a beautiful house for God and a beautiful place to worship. But God said, David, I don't want you to build me a house because I want to build you a house. And from your household, there will come who will sit and will reign with righteousness, peace, mercy, and grace, and justice forever and ever and ever. So they waited, and they waited. A promise was made. 
But would it be kept? That's what they were. Is it going to be kept? And so Isaiah would share another promise about the one who was going to come. And he says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he says about this one, he will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. And we know that was Jesus at the cross predicted 800 years before he ever would come, right? And then another pro prophecy would come to the prophet Micah, where it said the one who comes is going to be born in a place called Bethlehem. And then another one by Isaiah that he gives us. He says he will live in the area of Nazareth. Nazareth or the Galilee of the Gentiles is what he said. So promise after promise has been given. But would they be kept? That's the question. It's easy to give a promise. Would it be kept? All these promises, God says, I've kept them. I've kept every one. He's kept every promise. Look at them. He says, I've kept every one. We have a hard time keeping our promises, don't we? Even as little as telling our loved one or telling someone, I'll be home at 6 p.m., not realizing you might have to stay after work for some reason or because of the traffic or whatever, or, or maybe we're shopping and say, I'll be home at 6 p.m., not realizing the long line or the bad weather, and we don't get home at 6 p.m., so we break our promise. Think about that. When we make promises and we keep the promises, that's proof that we have valued the one we've made the promise to, right? That we're going to do what we have to do to fulfill that promise. That's what God is saying to his people. He says, I'm going to make you some promises, and I value you so much that I'm going to keep my promise. That's the God that we serve. People will let us down, but God will never let you down. He always, always keeps his promises. And the promises that God has made to you, he says, I will redeem you. I will rescue you. I will call you by name. He says, when you go through the deep waters, I'm going to go through them with you. When you go through the fires, I'm going to go through them with you. You are never, ever alone. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you so you can be with me one day. So promise after promise after promise, we can take it to the bank because God always, always keeps his promises. Amen? And therefore, because he values us, we can trust. We can trust in an almighty God. We can trust him with our lives and everything he says. And everything this Bible says, because God always keeps his promises. So we need to remember why Jesus came, why? To die for our sins. We need to remember that God always keeps his promises. And that's a good thing to know. When you're going through the most difficult and challenging times of your life, you need to cling to the promises of God and realize that we're never alone. That God is always with us. That's his promise. He's always with us, whatever we go through. The third thing we need to lock into our memory, remember God's miraculous grace. His miraculous grace. It says in Matthew 1, 23, The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was made about 800 years before it's quoted here again in the Scriptures. It was made to Isaiah. Isaiah gave this prophecy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where he says the day's going to come when a virgin is going to conceive. That doesn't happen, though. A virgin doesn't give birth to a to a son, does it? That's unusual, isn't it? But the Bible says the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, her. The Holy Spirit placed that baby inside of her, and she gave birth to a son, is what the Bible says. But 800 years later, it is quoted the night that it happens that Jesus was born into the world. That's, the, that's grace. That's the grace of God that we see this is happening here. But I like the wording here. It says, Manual, which means God's with us. And Jesus came not only to redeem us, but the Bible lets us know to come to live with us. And if I could take you back to the garden again, as the Bible says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. It had to be a wonderful time. 
they had this relationship, they had this companionship. Uh, it had to be so cool where the God of the universe, the God Almighty One, is represented there, and he would be walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of garden. They could have asked some questions. They were talking, had a conversation. But when they sinned, we all sinned, everything changed. There was a distance. There was a distance now between God and Adam and Eve. And while God is still spirit, he is everywhere. He's omnipresent. We all know that. He's everywhere. What happened, the localized presence of God was no longer universally realized with humanity. So in the Old Testament, God would appear localized at times, right? In the burning bush, in a cloud, in a fire, and often his presence would be represented at the Ark of the Covenant located in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. But then we get this promise that's all different from that. It's going to change it all. It says then when he comes, he's going to come live with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus wrapped in human flesh in a body is what it's talking about. God in human flesh, the God-man. And he would grow and he would develop and, and he would perform miracles and he'd do things that only God could do. And he would say things that only God could say, like, your sins are forgiven. And to a man who has ever walked, take up your mat and walk. And Jesus was God. Jesus is God. And after 33 years of living on this life, after his birth, he would go to the cross and he would die on the cross for our sins for all of our sins, for your sins. And the Bible says he was buried and he rose again, right? He rose again and he came for, of course from the grave. But before he ascended into heaven, he had that little short ministry there for a while, but then he ascended into heaven. And then you look at this and you think, whatever happened to Emmanuel? God with us. He was here for us for about 30-some years, but now he's gone. What happened with that promise? Well, the night before Jesus was crucified, he told to his disciples, I'm going to be leaving you now, but I'm going to send another of the same kind, of the same nature, the third person of the Trinity, he said he's going to live with you till the day of redemption. What happens after that? You and I leave here and we're with Jesus forever and ever and ever. So God keeps his promises. Emmanuel, God with us. He's always with us, right? We need to be reminded of that great promise that God has given us, that what we have is a gift of God by his grace, his miraculous grace, his wonderful grace. There was a Christmas card that I saw on the internet, and I wanted to read it to you. Really, really kind of short. It says, little baby on the hay, soon there'll be another day when nails will pierce your hands and feet as you provide things to keep. A risen Savior on the throne, we lift our praise to you alone, for you're the gift that we receive the moment that our hearts believe. That's grace. That's all of God's grace, his wonderful, miraculous grace. It means we can't work for it. We can't do anything for it. We can't pay for it. We're not redeemed by corruptible things like silver and gold and money. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? By the precious blood of Jesus that God, we're so valuable. We are so valuable that God loves us so much that he would send his one and only son to die for us. Think about that. Would you send your child to die for someone else? But that's what God did for us. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. And how insulting it would be for us to say that we could earn our own salvation. That, God, I don't need that the way you provide it. I can do it some other way, and somehow I can attain to God. Or somehow we could add on to what Jesus couldn't do, or, or Jesus would add on what we couldn't do. How insulting that would be to God to say that to him. As he says, no, we couldn't do nothing. It's all by his grace. God's grace is wonderful grace. It's a gift of God. It's eternal life that we have. Eternal life, not just eternal life, but with him forever and ever and ever. It's all by His grace. But this gift that God has given to us, it has to be received. 
The Bible says in John 1:12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That we just did not know about Jesus intellectually, that I know Jesus is the Son of God, and he died for me. The Bible says there has to be a time in our life where we reach out and we accept it. That we receive it by faith. We take it to be for mine. And the Apostle Paul says it so clearly. He says it, he says it with our in Romans chapter 10, he says, with the heart we believe. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, unto righteousness. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, one of the most important, simplest verses, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, will be saved. To call on the name of the Lord simply means to say, God, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He paid for my sins completely. And right now, I accept him by faith. I receive him to my life by faith. I put my faith in the trust and finished work of Jesus. The Bible says that when we do that, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I like the certainty about that, don't you? The certainty that you will be saved. Wouldn't it be horrible to wake up every day wondering where I'm going to spend eternity? Have I done enough good things to outweigh my bad things? By the way, where did that come from anyway? But that's what most society believes, right? That if I do enough good things, they outweigh my bad things, or if I'm better than 50% of all the other people, that I'm going to get into heaven. But let me ask you a question. How good is good enough to get into heaven? The Bible says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, it means we have to be perfect. And I don't know about you, but I know I'm not perfect. I don't, I've never met a perfect person besides Jesus who has all fallen short of the standard that God has given us. And God says, no, none of us can get to heaven on our own. That's why God sent his son, Jesus, who was the perfect one, who lived the righteous life, and went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, so you and I might have forgiveness of sins and eternity with him. For the Bible says, for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, on the name of the Lord, and puts their faith and trust in him, it says, you will be saved. Think what that means. Not a maybe, not a might be, not a, a hope so, not there's a really good chance you will be, but it says you will be saved. Imagine that. And all it takes is for me to come as a sinner, and we all are, and to recognize, God, I can't get to heaven on my own, and I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And that's the free gift that God offers at Christmas and every day. And I come and I put my faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. That all I got to do is come by faith and receive what Jesus did for me. And he says, you will be saved. It means that I will have the hope of eternity, that if I would die today, I would be with Jesus forever. That I have an eternal home that Jesus prepared for me in heaven. And my sins are forgiven, so now I have a relationship with God that I belong to the family of God. Amen? All because of what Jesus did, that free gift that God gave to us. Of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the gift that we want to talk about. Is Jesus given by God to us. Free plan of salvation is Jesus. So that's my prayer for every one of you. That you would remember these things this Christmas. That would be reminded that the reason that Jesus came was to rescue us from our sins. That's the reason. That we would be reminded that God always, always keeps his promises. That everything we read in this Bible, God keeps them, every one of them. And we've been reminded that this wonderful gift of God's grace, Emmanuel, God with us, is Jesus, is Jesus.
Do we remember all those things? We don't forget those things tomorrow when we celebrate for Christmas. What I'd like to do this morning, I'd like to lead you in prayer, but inside of that prayer, I'd like to have a prayer of salvation. It's a simple prayer. These are my words, uh, but they could be your words. Uh, if you just believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and, and was buried and raised on the third day, if you believe that, they could become, you can claim this promise this morning. Maybe some of you here know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, I, I know I'm going to spend eternity with God because I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Praise God for that. You have a lot to celebrate this Christmas, right? Everyone who knows Jesus Christ is your Savior, and at the certainty of heaven, you have a lot to celebrate. You should have full joy in your heart and mind. These songs that we sing, you should be singing them with everything you have, because they're so true in your heart and life. But maybe you're here today and you say, I've been fighting this for an awful long time, and I'm not for sure that if I was died to die today that I would go to heaven. I'm talking to you. You said, I'm not for sure that if I would die today I would go into heaven. I don't know, but today I want to nail this thing down. That I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, but I've never uh, obeyed it by accepting it by faith. As I said before, it's not enough to know it intellectually. It's not enough to know it here. We have to actually reach out and accept what Jesus Christ did for us. And not until we do that are we saved. Not until we do that are the sins forgiven. Not until we do that do we belong to the family of God. We have to accept what Jesus did. And maybe you're saying today, I believe the Holy Spirit is leading you. And I want to ask you to pray with me this morning. But maybe there's some here today that say, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to pray the prayer. Don't pray that prayer. Don't pray that prayer. But I want to let you know that Crossroads is a place for you to come to ask questions and to get answers because we're all in this together. None of us have arrived. Does anybody here have it all together and you've arrived? You're not looking at one this morning. I've not arrived. We're all in this journey of faith together, all saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ, right? And if you need help on your journey of faith, Please ask us. We'd be glad to come alongside of you and pray with you and help you any way we can, okay? You don't have to go through this alone. If you have questions about Jesus, please come and see me. I would be glad to talk to you about that. But if you're here today, you say, boy, I'm ready. I'm ready. I understand that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that, and I understand that, but you've never accepted him. Please, as I pray this prayer, repeat after me silently to yourself. Let's all go to the Lord in prayer as we just, everyone bow their head and close their eyes. And those who know Jesus, be praying for those who do not. God, will convict them in their hearts. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We're so glad, Lord, that you've come to meet with us this morning. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and lives this morning. Lord, I pray for those who do not know Jesus as their Savior yet. And they're ready. They understand who Jesus is what he did for them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead them to pray this prayer. Dear Lord, today I admit I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Lord, today I admit my righteousness is not enough. That I'm broken and I need healing. Today I recognize that Jesus is God, that he's the Son of God, and that he died on the cross for my Today, Lord, I want to receive that gift of Jesus dying for me. I want to accept that by faith and trust him as my Savior and Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for saving me. And I ask this in Jesus' name.
If you prayed that prayer, I want to welcome to the family, and maybe you say, but I don't feel any different. It's not about feeling any different. It's about you believing what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he did for you and obeying it, and you obey it by applying faith to it and accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you did that today, I want to welcome you into the family today and say so much. And i like to talk to you and celebrate with you and pray with you and, and help you any way I can because now you're coming as a, like a little baby as a Christian. You need to grow and want to help you do that so you understand what you've done. And maybe you're here today, you're in that category where it says, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. Uh, that's okay. I would like to give you a gift right up here. This little book, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. What's so great about this book is I believe it will answer most of the questions that you have. And I would love to meet with you and go through this. If you're going to pick one of these up, please read it. Just don't grab it and say, I have it on my bookshelf. Read it because I believe it will help you. And even those who maybe have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I believe this book will help you to understand what you've done. It's a very important book to read. But I would love to meet with you and just talk with you about this and you can understand what you've done and help you to make that most important decision in your life. It's Jesus. It depends where you spend eternity is what you do with Jesus. To ignore him or reject him means you're going to spend an eternity apart from Jesus. To accept him by faith means you're spending eternity with him. So one day you're going to have to get an account, what did he do with Jesus? And I want to make sure that you know him without a shadow of a doubt. That you know for certainty that I'm going to heaven because not based on your works, but based on his works on the cross, amen? That you put your faith and trust. If you have any doubt whatsoever about you, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, please come and see me. I would love to talk to you and pick up one of these books, amen? Let's go to Lord in prayer as we continue to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you so much. For God, you are an amazing and wonderful God. But Lord, this is your story that we tell. This is not a man-made story because no man would, human being would come up with a story like this, that God would come down and die on the cross for his people. No one would come up with a story. That is a God story. It demonstrates your amazing love and your amazing grace that you have for us and your commitment to us. And Lord, I pray that each person would realize the God of the Bible, not the God the world has talked about, but the God of the Bible, and their hearts are sincere and open that they would understand how much that you really do love them. That you sacrificed your own son because you care and love them so much that they too can have eternity with you. And I pray for anybody that does not know you this morning, Lord, they put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for all of us who know you. Lord, we have every reason to celebrate this Christmas and our hearts should be full of joy, jumping up and down joy, excitement, anticipation, and expectation because of what you so graciously did for each and every one of us, that you died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus, you would come to this earth, this dirty, filthy earth, and bring light into this world, Lord, we're so grateful, we love you so much, we're so thankful, because, all, because of you and what you did, gives us hope and eternity, gives us certainty of forgiveness of sins, a relationship with God, being part of the family of God, and spend eternity with you forever and ever. So, Lord, we will be eternally grateful forever and ever to you. And today, Lord, we celebrate you. We celebrate your birth. And we celebrate your life. We celebrate your death on the cross. We celebrate your resurrection. We celebrate your ascension. We celebrate, Lord, one day you're coming back again. That's the Christmas story. And so, Lord, we come to lift up our hearts.
there's only one who came to die for us. And this is what we want to focus on today. We love you and we praise you. And Lord, we ask all these things in your wonderful, amazing name, in the name of Jesus.